Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Please consider supporting Black Women United YEG for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. You can learn more about them at bwunited.ca. They are always looking for donations and volunteers. So please, again, support Black Women United YEG for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. Again, that website is bwunited.ca. Hey, this is Adam from Toronto, and I support Creative Control because Vish is full stop one of the best arts interviewers in Canada, or anywhere in the world, really. He approaches every episode like he's known the artist for years, creating a conversational atmosphere that gets straight to the heart of the work. No one else in podcasting gets it quite right like he does, with a mixture of meticulous research, wise artistic insights, and well-humored personal connections. I proudly support Vish and Creative Control on Patreon. You should, too. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creative control today. DJ SB is a talented hip hop artist based in Toronto, Ontario. Though they just released a fresh EP called Tasty Raps Volume 1 on September 17th, 2021, an earlier eight-song release from April called Head Above the Waters has raised Deja's profile considerably after making it onto the shortlist of ten albums nominated for Canada's annual Polaris Music Prize. About a month ahead of the September 27th awards ceremony revealing the Polaris Music Prize winner, Deja and I connected to discuss living in Toronto and Caribbean cuisine, things they learned about themselves and the world during the COVID-19 pandemic, hip-hop assertiveness and vulnerability, their history with the music and culture, and how they fit within its current state, understanding Kanye West, the sound and tone of Head Above the Waters, future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creative control plus in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton 
This is the 638th episode of Creative Control, featuring the very thoughtful and very talented Deja SB, with your host, me, Vishkana. Now the labels want me cause I'm poppin' and the flow be nice Give it a rest, step back unless you giving me checks My life ain't perfect but I live it the best while still keeping it fresh I'm much different, it's different guess The bars hit you like a kick in the chest I don't fumble at all, I just do it for the love of it all I stand still and the money still fall, that's called fake nigga Man, I don't got no room left for you fake niggas Hi Deja, how are ya? I'm good, how's it going man? Oh, it's it's well. Thank you very much. Thanks for asking. You know, not everyone asks. It's interesting. I always <laughs> really? uh, well, it's it's an interesting thing. It's often Americans, and I've been calling them out a little bit on it for fun. But very few people will say, "Hey, how are you?" And they just assume I'm fine. I guess I appreciate your interest in my well-being. That's all I, I I wanted to say right off the top. Thank you. Yeah, you should not assume anybody's fine right now. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. How do they know how I'm doing? It's not fair. <laughs> Anyway, no, it's nice to speak with you. Uh, and I, first of all, I guess, or second of all, third of all, I don't know where we are in the conversation. Where in the world are you today? I'm in Toronto, downtown Toronto. Nice. How are things going in downtown Toronto by your estimation? Uh, they're going, for sure. Um, <laughs> it looks pretty decent, but you never know, man. You never yeah. know. I mean, that's fair to say about Toronto at the best of times. Uh, <laughs> my my feeling uh, as an Ontario, I, I, I don't think we've ever met. I don't know if you know anything about me, but I used to live in Ontario and only moved to Alberta uh, for sort of family and work reasons uh, at the beginning of 2020. And then, of course, there was the pandemic. So I felt very isolated from everything, but I do occasionally miss Ontario. And I lived in Guelph, Ontario. Have you ever been to Guelph? I have been to Guelph, yeah. Did you do a show? I think I was just out there to chill. Oh, yeah. It is a nice place to chill, isn't it? It's like a small town. Do you, do you, do you have people mm-hmm. out there? Do you have friends? Yeah, I think I believe I had a fr- uh, friend out there that was just uh, hanging out and partying and um, <laughs> had a place there for yeah. the weekend. Yeah. So that's that's where I lived for most of my life, actually. Uh, I'm from nearby, and then I moved there for school. Anyway, so I, I do miss uh, Ontario uh, and I used to go into Toronto all the time. Are, are you from Toronto originally? Mm-hmm. Yeah, from Toronto. Whereabouts exactly? Uh, so I was. I grew up in the West End of Toronto my entire life. And um, last two years, I moved out to uh, Brampton. Nice. So f- further, further west, and then um, recently moved back to downtown Toronto. Oh, nice! I like Brampton. Brampton's all right, isn't it? I enjoy Brampton. It's a nice little suburb. Yeah. Um, it's really big, to be honest. But, it, uh, it's a massive, massive suburb. It's barely a suburb. It's its own little constellation. I mean, there's a lot. I swear. <laughs> there's a lot going on in Brampton. And and, and for my money, uh, maybe the best Indian food this side of India. I, I, yes. I, I, I liked going into Brampton just to get some good Indian food because it's the closest I, I have to my mom's cooking. My mom is in Cambridge, but uh, where I, I was born and raised, but... I always judge uh, restaurants by how close they are to my mom's because my mom was kind of yes. my mom is regarded as a very a great Indian uh, cook among her colleagues and associates. I may I make it sound like she's mm. running a business, but you know what I mean. She <laughs> the other yeah, the Indian people are like, oh yeah, if VJ is cooking, we know it's going to be good, kind of thing. So yeah, uh, it's a good shit. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do you have do you have, do you have like a cultural food? Uh, what is your background in that regard? 
Uh, I'm Grenadian, oh. so uh, Caribbean background. Uh, we do a lot of oxtail. Um, we have one dish called oil down, which is basically a concoction of things. There's dumpling, there's yam, there's pig feet, there's fish sometimes. It's a whole bunch of shit just put together. Pig feet. Well, who looks yeah. Who looks at the feet of an animal and and suggests <laughs> like that is a the, that is the ultimate in not being wasteful. All right, well we've eaten everything else. What's left? The feet. I mean, that's my impression. Yep. Are is that are, are our pig feet? Ta- is that tasty? Is that a particularly tasty part of the pig? I enjoy it. Yeah. I feel like it trickles down to uh, our ancestors not having enough. Yeah. And just using every resource of um, the animal that they can, but. I think it's actually not that... It's very salty, obviously. Mm. But I, I enjoy it. I like it. You said obviously. Is that because all the sweat from the pig? It, it ends up <laughs> yeah. welling welling around the feet, right? That's why it's so yeah. salty. I'm sorry. I, don't, I'm, yeah, I, pigs are pretty I, I was not expecting to make wisecracks about pig feet, and now I'm thrown. <laughs> I've never I've never had it, so I don't know if texturally... It's, is it a different... Is it meaty? Is it fleshy? Or is it... I mean, I think of it's, pig... Yeah, if it's, it's very fleshy, hmm. but the way I eat it, I don't eat the flesh part. I always like the parts where the flesh is kind of off of it, and it's just kind of the meat inside. Right. So anytime I get a piece that's like really fleshy, I'm like, nah, I'm not eating that part. Right, right. And it, it, I mean, pigs don't have hooves, do they? I can't think of a pig's foot. They don't. I don't think. <laughs> they, they just have like normal, um, normal feet, right? Yeah, yeah. A little normal pig feet. <laughs> <laughs> Little normal pig feet. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right. So, uh, do you? And I mean, uh, I bring this up only because I guess I'm discussing the uh, multicultural cuisine that is available to people in that part of Ontario. Uh, do you get to, uh, you know, partake of your, I guess, cultural cuisine a lot just being around in Toronto? I think I'm, I'm guessing the answer is yes. There's lots of options. Is that fair? Yeah, they have like every option. To be honest, so I was just going to say, do you have uh, yourself a favorite cultural cuisine that isn't your own? Because I know during this pandemic, for the longest time, only in, uh, until recently, my family and I had not been eating anything from the outside, mm-hmm. uh, takeout, whatever. I mean, obviously, maybe it's not obvious to some people, but restaurants were a no go. And then I started to be like, I'm being a little, I'm probably being a little uptight. Is it possible to be? Mm-hmm. Is it possible to be uptight during a pandemic? I mean, it's a pandemic for crying out loud. Shouldn't you be a little concerned right. about things? So, like, my thing oh, is, oh, yeah. Don't you have? Are you? Are you like a little like I'm not doing stuff? Are you more like that, or are you like ah, whatever? Oh, hundred percent. I'm not doing stuff. Right. Okay. You're hunkering down. Yeah, definitely. And since since the first lockdown. Right. Exactly. So I'm the same. You and I are similar in that regard because you ever been to a restaurant or ordered food and then you don't feel good. And then someone says, oh, you probably got a little food poisoning or uh, sometimes you might even get like a cold or a flu or something. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I don't know what it was. I just ate from that restaurant. And they say, oh, well, maybe the person preparing your food had something and then they, go- yeah. they got into the food. And then the- and I was like, that's the logic I applied to pandemic dining generally. I'm like, because mm-hmm. I remember the in the early days, they're like, don't share food with people. You know, it was all mm-hmm. about washing your hands. Don't go to your family's house and share food. And that share food mm-hmm. thing really stuck with me. You know, like who, know, mm-hmm. who knows who's touching your food? 
Does that sound right. paranoid or do you do you agree? No, definitely on the same page. Um, but I don't know the science behind like if you can catch that shit by people preparing your food. I don't know the science. No, I don't either. But you, sure, <laughs> some of us have gotten food poisoning. And, and then when people you talk to people, you know, from a restaurant, I mean, and people say, well, you know. What were the health? What were the sanitary conditions? Was the hygiene like at that place? Mm, and yeah, so that's where uh, it sounds like you and I are on the same page. And at this point, I'm wondering: Can you talk to my in-laws? Because they think <laughs> they think I'm some sort of coward, you know, uh, you know. And I, I don't feel like a coward. I'm just trying to be sensible. I have little children; they have no vaccinations because they're not old mm. enough. I'm trying to protect my family. Doesn't that make sense? Better to be overprepared. Yes. Underprepared. Good. Okay. Good. We're on the same. We're on the same page. That's good. Okay. Well, I, I appreciate that, and I'm sorry. I mean, on some level, Toronto is uh, Toronto and Ontario. I and well, certainly, I don't know if you've been following the news. Alberta has no restrictions uh, at all. They're mm-hmm. just like it's normal, but it's not. You know, everything's climbing. No. Ontario vibes as we're speaking. Like as a performer, as someone who I think thrives on being a musician and playing in front of people. I'm guessing. Do you feel like things are opening mm-hmm. up in a way that feels promising to you? Like, do you think you'll be performing anytime soon? Yeah, I have a few performances um, actually lined up for August and September, but I don't know how confident I am that after that, there will be more. Just mm-hmm. because when we look at like the vaccination rates, especially, yeah, we got to continue a certain trend until... We're just like, okay, yeah, it's kind of deemed appropriate to be able to be out and not be scared that the person beside you is not vaccinated. So we have to yeah. reach a certain point before that starts becoming the norm. Yeah. So I don't think we're at that point yet. And then you got to think about the variants too. The variants are, are what's uh, scary to me because this thing keeps mutating. It's already It was already something that we had no idea how to conquer. Yeah. And it took a long time to be able to find a sort of semi-solution. And then everybody is, because of the misinformation flooding around, they're skeptical beyond the norm, to be honest. Yeah. From from what I see, at least, skeptical beyond the norm. So it's it's going to be difficult to because to, to, we have to keep up a certain a certain trend, you know? Yeah, yeah, so I don't, absolutely. I don't, I don't see, like, it's, it's very unpredictable. Like a new strain drops every every week, so uh, that becomes stronger in resistance to the uh, vaccine. So yeah, it used to be. Uh, I used to like uh, Kanye West's uh, Good Fridays, where he would drop a new track every week. But yeah. now you're right. Now <laughs> now there's a new. Vi- this is like Bad Fridays. There's yeah. a new variant every week. Yeah. Terrible, terrible, terrible situation. I uh, I don't know if you've encountered this kind of. Like you're talking about people's mindsets and wrapping their heads around what's going on and and how best to deal with things in your cultural community, among musicians, uh, in your family life. Do you encounter that kind of skepticism? Like, uh, like, is that giving you pause that like the people around you seem a little lax or or like you said, cynical, skeptical about the science and and how and our way forward like are you encountering much of that on a personal level uh, among your colleagues or your family i see a bit of it uh within my family but once i give them the information then it goes to okay i've gotten this information and uh i understand now so i'll move forward from that but with a lot of people i see especially online they're getting the information 
the right information and they're still holding down and doubling down on not taking it, wanting to have some sort of what thinking that it's more so that is the agency over their body. Yeah, um, yeah. And of course you have agency over your body, but this is also not like a political thing at all. And I feel like all of the politicians and all the government and the media framing this as a political thing instead of what it is, which is a health concern, a major health worldwide health concern yeah. is uh, a lot of the problem. And then like people are purposely spreading misinformation to cause civil unrest. And like, there's literally articles and studies of the proof that like people from other countries that I will not name <laughs> are, um, <laughs> are literally purposely spreading misinformation to people via the algorithm of like Facebook or Twitter or YouTube. Yeah. And that, that's causing civil unrest between um, communities and uh, between the government and people. And uh, that kind of thing works. Yeah. And uh, it's just sad because again, this is a, uh, it's not an individual thing anymore. It never was actually. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, mm. People yeah. are so frustrated and want to get back to some sort of normalcy, but you have to do your part. Can't yeah, complain and and be one of those people that are anti-vax or or not trying to uh, follow the rules. I think about it like I give this example: we're not pissed at the government for putting up red lights or stop sorry stop signs. It's to protect us, right? Well, yeah, but but I think some people are some people are actually upset about that kind of stuff. <laughs> you know, any kind of regulation or oversight. Like this is the ultimate manifestation of that libertarian kind of scofflaw mentality, I guess. Like mm-hmm. I don't, I don't have to, I don't have to obey the rules. Like these rules are arbitrary. And like I, mm-hmm. I come from sort of subcultural mindsets where I, I believe in some of those things, but ultimately, I also come from, I don't know, some measure of boomer hippiedom where you're like well we have to do what's we have to do what's best for everyone not just mm-hmm. what our, ourselves i guess i i can i can hear how what's going on is informing your decision making as a person but what mm-hmm. about what about artistically is any of this stuff infiltrating your writing or your work right now if anything it's kind of inspiring it especially during the first lockdown i had all the time in the world to kind of write and do whatever and engage with whatever I wanted because I didn't feel bad about not doing anything because nobody else was doing anything or performing or anything like that. So um, for me, and I say this very much with uh, privilege, Mm -hmm. it's actually been kind of like a, a small little gift. And especially when we had the first lockdown, I was really, really on like my last leg in terms of, uh, working a retail job and I was literally asking the universe for some sort of break and um, sucks that this is what it had to be. But uh, <laughs> I know that uh, for a lot of people like me who are introverted, we had the privilege of also working a job that either paid us to stay home or just pay, like just paid us in general. So yeah. I do know that I am very, very privileged. I haven't caught COVID and um, it has also allowed me to be a lot more creative because I just have the time 
to be created. Yeah. I don't want to uh, bypass what I think is some breaking news, which is that you asked the universe to pause everything, and then we got a pandemic. <laughs> Might have so been a I, It seems to me that you asked for this, and you got. <laughs> I, I've, been, I've been making the same joke because we, I moved, our whole family moved in January 2020, and you know, the, the kids were obviously feeling like, oh, I'm going to miss everything at home. Uh, in Ontario, and people would say to me, like, Vish, like, you know, you're, you would go to concerts, you'd go to restaurants, don't, aren't you going to miss all that stuff? And then two months later, there was nothing to miss. Mm-hmm. So selfishly, it's been kind of a perfect, I'm, by the way, same as you, privileged, can work from home, have a kind of computer job that they, you know, I mean, I've been advocating for this for years, like, why are, having worked jobs where I would be like, taking a laptop from Guelph to the CBC in Toronto mm-hmm. for four years, like the same laptop yeah, <laughs> and <laughs> unplugging it in one city at six in the morning, plugging it in in Toronto at nine in the morning or eight 30, whenever the train decided to get me there mm-hmm. and then taking it back and not getting home till seven. And then my wife is dealing with the chill, the child the, at the time it was just our son. Mm. You know, I was always like, this seems wrong. Like yeah. everything I'm doing just requires the internet again, very privileged position. So I'm with you. Like, I guess that's part of my conversation. Like when I have conversations about stuff like this with artists and, and people on the show, like what we've learned in terms of, you know, how we can function, mm-hmm. are there aspects of what we've learned that you would like to see continue as we, because we've had these weird moments of normalcy or mm-hmm. calls for normalcy and like, what are the, you know, are, are people going to go back to their office jobs or are they going to, you know, be able to work remotely? Like all mm-hmm. these sorts of conversations are starting to pop pop up now as we've had brief glimmers or not brief. Like there's, I mean, you look at America. Do you follow basketball at all, DJ? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I follow basketball. W- wasn't it surreal to watch the playoffs and see like 19,000 people in an arena? Yeah, it was strange. Yeah. It was crazy. So there's, <laughs> it, it was like it made me a little uncomfortable and my anxiety, which I try to keep under control, started to rise even just watching. There was the tension of the games. Mm-hmm. And then I would, they do these, I think it was Spike Lee who was filming a lot of the, he was making these little videos. I don't know if you heard about this, but he was making these little videos for the NBA because all of a sudden they would go to these like 4K fan shots, mm-hmm. like right up in the audience's faces. And you were just, I was like, oh, this is, <laughs> I'm not comfortable. Like, it, Or was I maybe just feeling FOMO? Like, I can't decide. <laughs> like, how come they get to do that? And we're all in Canada. Like, no, no, we can't, can't do mm-hmm. that. Anyway, I, I'm going off on a, I, I started a, question and then I went on a tangent and that's something I do. My question I think was, would you like to see the things that have been working well for us as a society uh, during this pandemic? Would you like to see them continue? And if so, what to you has seemed like any kind of bright spot uh, during this pause? Because you acknowledge like you got to take, you got to have time off in a sense. You you got to have time, I should say, Mm -hmm. um, to yourself. Anyway, is there stuff you'd like to see continue uh, or, or, or you know, or, or is are there anything you can't wait to get to doing again? You know what I'm, you know where I'm coming from here. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, if you think about it in the beginning of the pandemic, there was a lot of uh, empathy from companies. So an example is my uh, car insurance stopped charging me for a few oh, months. Wow. Yeah, hmm. and my credit card stopped charging me interest. 
Mm-hmm. And then if you think about SERP and just how stimulating the economy, just how people are willing to not work and get less or not less money. Some people are willing to not work and get SERP because they're literally getting paid less money to work their asses off yeah. day in, day out for a company that the CEO got a, a bailout and they had to stay home. And um, there are just so many levels of, of things that got exposed during this pandemic, just uh, corporate greed, just how much of us are in poverty and one, two missed paychecks from homelessness. Yeah. And also just um, how much the working class is holding this economy together by mm-hmm. like a string. So a lot of the things that I would could like to continue to see is like talking about just uh, universal. Basic income? Yeah, basic income. Yeah, so UBI, that is, I guess. Yeah. yeah, something that definitely should be looked into just to stimulate the economy since a lot of people lost their jobs and a lot of people lost money. And um, if you're willing to work, you should be getting paid more than the government will give you monthly. And that will force the people that are uh, paying the wages to up them because otherwise nobody will work for them, right? Well, yeah. And I think what you're getting at too is like, I don't think we've really had a chance to reconcile the anger we should all be feeling about the false economy. Like they found this money for people when like it did, I don't know about you, but when I started to see Serb and and like you're talking about companies saying, you know what, we don't have to charge you. Well, if you don't have to charge us, like we get it, like these are extenuating circumstances, but like, why is there homelessness? Mm-hmm. Why do you, why do you, if you can find this money all of a sudden mm-hmm. to help people who need it, mm-hmm. where is this money usually? Exactly. Like, and, and so I, I feel like we haven't really dealt with that it kind of to me anyway i'm sure there are people that are like okay finally the jig is up mm-hmm. but i feel like for me anyway as a working parent it's just trying to get through each day mm-hmm. and and negotiate which news outlets i'm going to get information from mm-hmm. and trust and so it's you know it's still a sort of bread and circus like we're still pretty distracted by everything which is i think what Certainly governments and, and, and corporations are hoping we will be distracted and, and afraid mm-hmm. as much as possible so they can do what they do without us being like, hey, wait a second, what are you doing? Right, <laughs> and, yeah. but, I, but I feel like this was a great reckoning, but it also felt a bit fleeting. Am I wrong? Like, are you starting to get a sense? Like the stuff you're talking about, you, you, you know, universal basic income, really scrutinizing I guess what I'm talking about, like, where is the money coming from? Where does it go? Mm-hmm. Why do you have it sometimes? Why can you help us sometimes, but sometimes you say you can't? Yep. Is that bubbling up? Like, do you feel like more conversations like that are happening? Definitely. I think people are, a lot of people are frustrated yeah, because it doesn't make sense. You pull out the money to save the beloved economy, but where is it when people are suffering? Yeah. In general. Yeah, I really put into perspective that I, as much as I am very much privileged to be in this country, it's really actually a shitty one. And I think the world yeah. is just ran by such evil corporations and officials and 
everybody like when i don't understand how this pandemic has not made people understand how much we need each other more than than ever yeah like yeah. we yeah. we will not yeah. survive past anything we're supposed to survive if we do not like come together and start believing things like science and all of the things that have been literally implemented that have not worked like we we have significant science that says like policing doesn't really work mm-hmm. we have significant science that says climate change is about to fuck us up all of these things are right in our faces but we don't deal with them until something really tragic happens i don't understand why it's not prevent and instead of deal with you know so um i feel like a lot of people are frustrated i already said i feel like a class war is bubbling like you you you, we all saw how the economy literally crumbled because people couldn't work you know what i mean yeah. Who's to know what's next to come out of the woodwork to immobilize us again and have us yeah, that's where, up in the house? Yeah. Yeah. That's where the uh, I question the forces that are truly calling for a return to normalcy. Like, right. Because I, I feel like there's some, like, there's obviously some serious uh, anxiety and mental health stuff that we need to deal with. I know keeping my children home for virtual school for all of last year. Uh, likely had s- some detrimental effects on them mm-hmm. but at the same time they were trying to socialize online uh there's a lot of that going on now with technology so i and when i talked to teachers they're like yeah well in class wasn't much better like there's a pandemic it's very stressful for everyone you know mm-hmm. kids were having to wear masks like it wasn't normal so so i think that's a that's a reckoning we have to deal with and it's just a lot going on there's just a lot going on now i i i want to get get to you in this regard because the narrative around you and your work and the things you rap about, write about, talk about, the narrative I pick up on is that you're a very personal writer and you're you're not uh, squeamish about discussing your own struggles. But I don't want to, this is again a narrative, I've never spoken with you about it. So can you speak to that? Is that the right track? Is that true? How would you characterize the things you so you know some of the things you discuss from a personal nature in your work can you do that yeah for sure yeah you're on the right track definitely i've always been kind of a a vulnerable person beyond the music just Mm -hmm. speaking about my experiences with anything i feel is relatable but especially like mental health so um I believe as myself as as a vessel addressing those those problems that i deal with out loud just so that one person that doesn't know how to deal with it at all kind of has that reassurance that they're not alone. That's a gift and a curse because you're really kind of exposing yourself to a very cruel world. People are not the nicest and um, Mm. they will use your vulnerabilities to their advantage. But I feel like the bad really does outweigh, sorry, the good outweighs the bad in that sense. If I can help at least one person with my music get through what it is that they're dealing with the same way that my favorite artists have kind of helped me get through things. Then um, I feel like I'm fulfilling what I've been brought on earth to do. Right. 
And yeah, I see vulnerability as a strength. And I feel like we have a lot of stigma against some of the more negative emotions. But the way I view things really helps me navigate my journey. And um, if it can help somebody else navigate their journey, then why not? You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, growing up when I was a kid and rap and hip hop were, I think, still kind of emergent forces. This is kind of like in the 80s, I guess. I think I initially viewed it as a celebratory music. Mm -hmm. uh, but at, over time, and the music I tended to gravitate towards, it was a lot of whatever much music was feeding me. Mm -hmm. um, but in those days, it was like uh, Run DMC, Beastie Boys, Public Enemy, Tribe Called Quest mm -hmm. were the things that really popped out to me. And I think in retrospect, like I understood it as celebratory. Public Enemy was an interesting example because they were very, I think, the most overtly political, so to speak, or or outspoken about issues. And, and I think trying to celebrate, urge people to celebrate something collectively. But I, in, in retrospect, I feel like all of that supposed celebration was steeped in pain um, mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and trauma, a collective trauma, and then it got more and more personal as right. rappers. I think rappers tended to talk tough, talk mm -hmm. very tough and assertively and in your face. Mm -hmm. And I see it in my kids sometimes now where he's kind of bragging about something. Mm -hmm. But if I look deeper into his eyes, I realize he's kind of overcompensating. There's something <laughs> underneath that, you know, like an insecurity or a, an uncertainty. Like it comes across as brash. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I'm trying, I'm, I'm painting hip hop with a broad brush, but do you see where I'm coming from? Like, I feel like a lot of, we, we, I think we, for the longest time, until the last 10, 15 years maybe, we viewed hip-hop as almost like professional wrestling. Just like mm -hmm. kayfabe. Like, I am so tough, you can't mess with me, I will destroy you. And then gradually, we got rappers and artists who were a little more vulnerable and emotional and mm -hmm. talking about their personal struggles more which was like their deep personal struggles. Do you, where do you fit? Because <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I feel like you are in this latter category, but are you steeped in that first wave at all of like, I'm just better than everyone kind of stuff. And, and mm -hmm. also we need to celebrate together. Sorry, this wasn't really mm -hmm. a question. I just did a little Wikipedia entry about right. what I think hip, hip hop is, but mm -hmm. does any of what I'm saying resonate with you and, your own trajectory as an artist and as a fan, I think, of mm -hmm. hip-hop. Uh, no, definitely. You, you hit it kind of quite on the nail. Like, if you kind of uh, go back to the why hip-hop kind of started, it was to uh, party. But then it did. And it, and it was, and it always was, a way to express disdain of the corporations and the police, especially. Yeah. I mean, anything that was kind of uh, felt like they were discriminating against against us it's always yeah. been about that as as much as it's been about the partying yeah like speaking out on oppression and also trying to find the joy in life like I, mm -hmm. that's something i always took from it like yes shit is horrible uh for us and we could be mired in that or we could try to find we could try to express the joy we feel for each other and for life and mm -hmm. while still talking about that stuff and maybe that mm -hmm. is a more succinct way of what I was trying to put forth earlier, but I think that's mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and that's yeah. definitely kind of what I try to kind of uh, push as well um, yeah. in my music. It's definitely a- a- aligned with that message. How did you first get into hip hop? Do, do you have any sense, memory of what turned you on to it as a musical form? Again, presumably as a fan before you became, you know, a practitioner, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But as a fan, do you remember who or what, you know, turned your head and thought, oh, what is this? This is interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it was definitely the West Coast guys. So uh, Easy, Dr. Dre. It was kind of more so interested in the beef between them. Between them, like yeah. between Cube and yeah, Easy and yeah. Oh, okay, and, interesting. And how kind of uh, they express themselves and what? No pun, what, no no pun intended. Yeah, on what they thought was like what the other person was doing. Terrible, right? right? Yeah, I was a kid that kind of fascinated me, and then as I got older, my palate kind of grew, and I started listening to uh, the East Coast guys. Uh, so it's Nas, Wu-Tang, all those guys. And then um, yeah, grew up a little more and started listening to the more emotional guys, the Kanye's, the Kid Cudi's. And um, yeah, but it did start with finding like the West Coast artists and falling in love with that side of the genre. As as a fan, I mean, as a fan of anything, when you you become a student and a fan and, and at some point maybe even a scholar of whatever you're you're into, so to speak, you know, you become sort of, an expert if you if you get deep into it do you, this sort of delineation i'm making between collective expression almost like community news reporting in rap and mm-hmm. hip hop to more introspective it's like sort of self-awareness almost self-diagnosis like just talking about yourself constantly mm-hmm. as opposed to maybe as as a representative of a community do you have mm-hmm. a sense of where that shift started to occur that this notion of like, instead of talking about a whole community of people, uh, literally either my city, my 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 total cultural community, if you will, to I'm going to talk about myself a lot more. Like mm-hmm. to me, that's is that a false shift? Like maybe people have always been doing that, but I don't know. Um, I'm, do you do you have a sense of where it, where it sort of came comes from? I feel like once corporations got a hold of uh, once rap became popular like the, the more popular genre mm-hmm. uh that's probably where uh the floodgates kind of opened for anybody to kind of use it as a way to uh express themselves but um yeah. it's it's always been like there's always been that kind of braggadocious era that was paired also with the other pieces of content but yeah it does really feel kind of self-serving <laughs> okay so yeah. we're kind of getting into it now i get into weird zones with people about hip-hop these days because i think some of us relate to it more than we ever did some of us are struggling to see the substantive or substantive aspects of it or the skill level and you sound kind of old when you start <laughs> to be like oh well this isn't like raekwon ghostface like those are technically great rappers uh-huh. Some of the people popping off today are barely saying anything. Like, literally, uh-huh. they're not saying much in the sense of, like, what is this? Like, what am I supposed to take away from this? But they're also, like, they're barely bars. They're ba- uh-huh. There's barely any there's barely any text, if you will. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. But does that make it... Do you have a perspective on that? Like, you know, 
I hate to, I'm not a golden era of hip hop person. I think it's a, one of the things that appeals to me about hip hop is that it's always evolving and changing. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I will watch someone that everyone's talking about. And sometimes like, I love your latest record, uh, particularly head above the waters, but I think in my mind, it has touchstones. Like I hear Biggie, I hear, mm-hmm. I just hear people that I think are of the highest quality, Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. But for some people, like, I have a friend whose uh, son described uh, Wu-Tang as old man rapping. Um, <laughs> and and that, that kind of threw me, because I'm like, but that, to me, is the epitome. You know, Andre 3000, like, these people who could do things with the form and take it places that seemed impossible, like just like mm-hmm. him, like no one can do this. And now it, there are times where I'm listening to someone that everyone's talking about. I'm like, this feels kind of easily attainable. This does not seem mm-hmm. extraordinary to me. Mm-hmm. So I want you to judge me for my comments. Tell me if mm-hmm. I am in fact an old man or do you relate to anything I'm saying? Um, I relate, but I guess that's because I'm old too. <laughs> So, <laughs> I get the impression you and I are about the same age. Uh, that's my, <laughs> based on what you're saying, because I have the same sort of touchstones uh, in terms of that. So is that when you, if someone were to say, oh yeah, DJSP, that's kind of old school. Would you, <laughs> what do you make of that? When it comes to the average rap fan who is being fed what the Billboard charts deems as rap, Mm-hmm. I don't think they would say that about me, but there is this misconception that if you're riding over beats that are more like how you classify as like boom bap or they're not more so like trap influenced, that what you're making is garbage. When that's not true. There are lots of trap artists that make very good music, actually. And as you said, it's just with the time, it just goes with the times. Like the newer artists, are making what they're making based off of what they know. Yeah. And um, the only way it kind of gets annoying is when they start to kind of act like the older music heads are just hating on them or they don't want to pay homage to uh, the people that kind of paved the way or like saying, yeah, uh, nobody's listening to Wu-Tang Clan anymore or blah, 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 blah. I'm like, Yo, they literally have a cult fan base and that's based off of them literally changing the landscape of hip hop and being that good that people just want to support them well into their to their eighties. <laughs> so Wu Tang is my favorite thing. Yeah. And I I love every aspect of it to some extent. I mean there's obviously uh maybe not obviously, but there's problematic aspects of hip hop. Uh, in terms of that era, particularly, where just the subject matter, every once in a while you're listening to a record, you're like, whoa, this verse is not, this probably, this verse was probably never cool. How did mm-hmm. I let this slide? Right. You ever have that? Oh, you're 100%. like, oh, yeah, that's yeah. a weird part of it too. But I think that's true of all genres. It's mm-hmm. not just hip hop. You're mm-hmm. just like, Jesus, like this artist I love is saying the most terrible shit. <laughs> yeah. And I, we just let it slide until someone is like, ah, you never really home in on that thing where they said that thing and you're like, oh yeah, right. Yeah, it's bad. But anyway, sorry. Yeah, I I mean, I hear in your in your production choices even, 
you know, you mentioned boom bap and and some other sort of stylistic signifiers, but like you're working on this record, the one where you know, Head Above the Waters, the most recent release, primarily with Cheap Limousine. Who is Cheap Limousine? Uh, he's a gentleman. He's actually a producer out in Milan that I just randomly found on the internet and literally changed my my whole sound and helped me develop the sound that I'm enjoying the most right now. Hmm. Yeah. And what is it about? And, and I mean, I, you've also got my uh, my colleague, my my associate. This is going back to my mom's Indian food. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my pal Harrison is also on a couple of tracks too, mm-hmm. and um, so and they they work like those two sort of aesthetics. I think at least those two. I'm just scanning here. You've got some people doing verses features, mm-hmm. but uh, the production really works. Can you characterize that? Like, what is it about that sound? that appeals to you as opposed to i was just like over the weekend i i was listening to life of pablo by kanye mm-hmm. west and i think your your records have put me in the mood to check out other artists because on on this record you quote kanye West's song gorgeous um mm-hmm. and i love that i love my beautiful dark twisted fantasy it's very mm-hmm. hard do you have trouble with kanye is it hard to talk lovingly about kanye right now not for me no uh because <laughs> <laughs> I have far too much empathy for yes. the guy. Also, I tell people that that's my problematic faith. That's my one problematic faith. <laughs> like people listen to people that are like abusers and like rapists. Yes. So I'm going to definitely continue to support Kanye. Just because, uh, like he he's said some harmful shit to our community, probably during a bipolar meltdown. Like I'm not gonna fucking shun the guy. Yeah. He's he's you know. I just have a lot of empathy for him. But but do you think like there's the there's the shit he said that's harmful to the community. There's stuff he's done. Is the Trump stuff, you know, a bridge too far? Is that or is that part of his mental health stuff? Like I feel like when someone starts to espouse political views. In a, co- in, a, in a somewhat articulate or cogent manner, you feel like, okay, I guess they're in a, a normal state for them. That mm-hmm. just that just must be what they believe. Which I mean, I can think of specific examples that relate to your point of him saying problematic stuff, which was in the mm-hmm. same zone. But his actions were also and support for that person. Mm-hmm. That's probably part of what you're describing. Yes, but I think about the fact that so many black people have Republican uncles that they don't shit on. Right. And probably voted for Trump. <laughs> I, don't, right. I don't know what the fuck. Like, yeah, he's just hyper visible, visible at the moment. Well, not at the moment. He's a superstar. 20 years, um, 20, 20 yeah. years of being hyper visual and, and hyper influential. And when, well, I, I brought up the life of Pablo and my uh, reading of some sort of entry about it. I think it was probably on Wikipedia. And Kanye's, one of the quotes was like from a a producer uh, on some of the tracks was like, he specifically said, make beats that are not hip hop. Give me stuff Mm -hmm. that doesn't sound conventional in any regard. And Mm -hmm. when I was talking to Cadence Weapon about his most recent album, Parallel World, he said the same thing. He asked people to give him stuff that they thought wouldn't work and that he would try to fuck with it. And then he used mm-hmm. the, he used those ideas. So there's, the, on the mm-hmm. one hand, to me, 
like that record and Life of Pablo, they're challenging. They're beat oriented or rhythmically oriented, but they're the beats are all sort of messed up. Mm-hmm. Your record is like a breath of fresh air to me in the in the sense that I it doesn't feel as jar it's not as jarring. The production yeah. is relatively for lack of a better term smooth and and I I kind of feel like I know where it's coming from and to me it's reassuring that way. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Definitely, yeah. That's how I like to kind of describe myself when I can. <laughs> <laughs> you have the opportunity here to describe yourself as much as you want, I hope. <laughs> I hope you'll. Yeah. I, I hope you'll take it. No, that, but that, that that seems to be yours. And you're saying that cheap limousine in particular has impacted maybe how you'll move forward in your work. Yeah, he's just um, his production kind of just inspired me and inspired an entire kind of world out of me. Yeah. It, it, does that does that in, in, in terms of writing as well? Had you written most of the raps on this record before you received? Uh, the tracks, or do you not work that way? Oh, no, I definitely get the beat first, okay. and then listen. Right. So the record is called Head Above the Waters. Again, the narrative just that I've heard and read, and I think I've even heard you talk about, is that this is about surviving, essentially, and right. overcoming your own struggles. Do you, now that the record's been out, it's been celebrated, people have processed it, do you have perspective on your writing here? Like, do you have some perspective on what you had been going through as you were writing stuff and where you're at with it now that the record is out and you've lived with the songs a little bit? Like, does it inform your thoughts about yourself, so to speak? Yeah. Seeing people and what they write about the, like in terms of like reviewing my album and seeing their perspective on it really changed the way that I kind of viewed what I was writing about and, the impact it could have on a set of people at the moment. I'm not thinking about those things. I'm literally just writing what I feel is appropriate for the times and what I'm going through. So um, I guess it just boils down to me just being very relatable and just always knowing what to say at the right time. Yeah. And do you, do you view your role now as someone who can help others, so to speak? I, I think we've been talking a lot about empathy and, the power of music on communities, on individuals. Like, are you comfortable in a role where people are like, man, DJ, your record, the record just saved me. Like, are you comfortable hearing mm-hmm. that sort of stuff? Yeah, I am. Cause I've also felt that way about, about other artists. So I've always kind of used that as a standard. Yeah. Okay. So you, you, you feel like you're good. You want to be part of people's lives <laughs> and mm-hmm. you want your music to, to help them on some level, whatever, however it does it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. All right, good. Some people, you know, the other thing about Kanye, I feel like he makes stuff and then doesn't give a fuck what people think, or he says that, but I think he actually really does care. You care what people think uh, and, and how the music impacts people. Is that fair? Yeah, for sure. Okay, all right. So what's sort of next for you? Uh, have you, I feel like we covered this earlier, and forgive me if I... I'm forgetting, but do you have a sense, like, have you been busy? Have you been writing a lot during this pandemic or have you felt, I've talked to artists who've said both. I, I, I'm using this time creatively. Others who have said it's so depressing. I can't think of, mm-hmm. I can't think of how to capture it or why I'd want to capture it even in my art mm-hmm. right now. Have you been writing during this time? 
I think I I teeter between both of those yeah. extremes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I mean, every mm-hmm. day, literally every few hours feels different than the previous hours. Mm-hmm. But have you, do you feel like you have songs ready at this point? Oh, yeah, I have a, um, another project I'm coming out with in September. So I'm definitely still working and creating when I can, though. I don't ever force it. Okay. That's where it kind of makes the most sense that uh, I don't put the pressure on myself to create. If it's there, then it's there. Right. And I'll do it. Right. This other project you described coming out in September, uh, that's exciting. Is there anything you can tell us about it at this point? It's just going to be a little six-song EP with um, familiar faces and... um, yeah, just something to end the year off nice on hmm. and um, to keep that little buzz going, you know? Yeah. You tend to write in these sort of six to eight song blasts, don't you? Like when you put out stuff. Is that fair? Like almost EP yeah. style. Yeah, I don't want to uh, overwhelm people. It's overwhelming. <laughs> Twelve songs is overwhelming. Do you, do you prefer yourself to when artists put out shorter stuff, shorter records? Definitely, because I'd prefer it be shorter and have the quality hmm. than have a bunch of filler. Right. Fair enough. You know? Yeah. No, totally fair. Okay. Well, uh, if people want to learn more about you and your work, uh, where would you like to sort of send them uh, online uh, at this point? You can definitely see everything available on my website, just djsb.com. But uh, if you want to really get in touch with me, like, Real time. That's going to be my Instagram and my Twitter. Okay. Which is DJ. Okay, cool. So we'll keep an eye on those. By the way, are there vinyl pressings perhaps in the future? Um, Maybe in the future. Uh, I wanted to do vinyl for Head Above the Waters, but everybody I went to was like, yeah, there's a four to six month wait. Yes. I'm just like, Ugh. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. The like pandemic has, has created these delays. Okay. I just, mm-hmm. but you're not averse to it. Like you would do it if you could. Yeah. And I don't like, having people wait very long for my merch. Right. I feel anxious that somebody is waiting for something in the mail from me. <laughs> <laughs> That's very considerate. You seem very considerate, if I might say. Yes, I try to be. <laughs> As a fan of music, I it's, it helps to be a fan. Because yeah. then being an artist, you kind of have both outlooks. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm hoping we can go out on a song, uh, DJ, from from Head Above the Waters. And if that's possible, do you mind picking one and also maybe explaining why you chose it? Oh, sure. Maybe we could go out on uh, New Harrison because uh, that's your that's your boy, that's my boy. <laughs> and uh, it's a good vibe. It seems to me that the title was probably the name of the file he sent you. That's one of the few where I'm like, New Harrison. Uh-huh. Is that is there a reason it's called New Harrison <laughs> beyond that? Um, I actually just had like, yeah, I was just like, yo, this is New Harrison Joy. And then I just named it New Harrison. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. Okay, that's cool. Well, yeah, I as I said, I'm a big fan of Harrison. And I'm a big fan of you, uh, DJ. So thank you for this time. This is uh, New Harrison from the amazing record, Head Above the Waters. And uh, DJ, thank you again. Like I say, thank you for your time. Uh, I, I really appreciate it. And I wish you the best of luck in the future. No problem. You too, man. I'm back.
by popular demand. I stay on point, John Stockton with the raps. The flow stay heat like a rocket when it blasts. Certified in these streets, you just popping on the gram. Designer on the face just to cover up the bags. This ain't a race, I'm still running up the tabs. Don't get offended, I'm just trying to get the cash. And the meter keep running like I knocked out in the cab. Where the fuck have I arrived? In the waters trying to keep from going under Never was giving instructions I just made something from nothing Now I'm loving the life Painting pictures with a canvas subsides I'm not sure what to do at this point I didn't plan to survive If you ain't know, that's because I got a master disguise Now I'm set up like Steve Nash Pass me a dime It's like that y'all, that y'all I don't really give a fuck about it at all It's like that y'all that y'all, I don't really give a fuck about it at all. It's like that y'all, that y'all, I don't really give a fuck about it at all. Same people that try to blackball me, forgot about two things. Oh, they must have forgot about me. That would explain the sheer lack of preparation. You said I changed, y'all should have changed you, hella stagnant. Your pen and page and leave it at its early stages. I wish you better days, but later days to the weekenders. I live my life on through the week, I'm one of them deep enders. Swimming in this sipping vino from my decanter. I'm fancy now, I like my shit support from decanters. That's just what it is, I guess I've got with T-Banter. No more corny talks with niggas who can feel your aura. Or you an empath, make pass for my swift departure. I give you ten taps, ten taps till you dearly depart us. Ain't no frills you can shop us, there's really no meal that could hold me. Hungry as feel, Uncle Homie. Look here, it's real as my Sony. I lose my chill, you'll be sorry. Boy, my league work about Corey. I think referrals are corny. I shake your hand just to know you won't take your chance. I implore you, it's like that, y'all. That, y'all. I don't really give a fuck about it at all. It's like that, y'all. Like that y'all, I don't really give a fuck about it at all. It's like that y'all, that y'all, I don't really give a fuck about it at all. Same that try to blackball me, forgot about two things. I'm backed by popular demand. You don't know shit, you in the barrel with the crabs. The flow so slick that it be slipping through the cracks. On my solo shit, I need the riches from the rags. My coat stay clean. When I kick it in the lab And I got smoke for the snakes That wanna slither in the grass Niggas sneak this in But that won't get you any cash Gossip to women You think that's gonna get you ass? Pathetic It doesn't always work out in the end I get it Instead of waiting on niggas to do it I did it It always makes you wonder But I am on track Now a nigga at the front of the train Like the conductor My cash automatic Like Jordan was with the jumper This shit is not the lotto I'm not concerned about numbers I just wanna give the biggest crib to my mother Leave when it's winter Then return when it's summer like that that y'all, that y'all, I don't really give a fuck about it at all. It's like that y'all, that y'all, I don't really give a fuck about it at all. It's like that y'all, that y'all, I don't really give a fuck about it at Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Very, very special thanks again to Deja SB for appearing on this, the 638th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One podcast network and is available wherever you get your podcast if you can't find an episode uh, that you've heard about you're looking for it or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter please visit my worldwide website vishkana.com you can also like creative control on various social media i guess uh, facebook there is a facebook page for the show and sometimes people like that you can follow the show on twitter as well at vishcreative or you can follow me directly on twitter and on Instagram, at Vishkana. Also, please visit patreon.com slash creativecontrol to make a flexible monthly donation to sustain this podcast. $6 or more a month grants you access to exclusive content from my audio archives. Sometimes, have I done any video archive stuff? I probably could. Gotta dig into some hard drives. But anyway, that's between me and my machines. In any case, $6 or more a month Again, this is monthly flexible. You can change, you can alter things, you can cancel, whatever you need to do. But $6 or more a month grants you access to exclusive content. And also, if you're interested in receiving a Creative Control t-shirt, please message me on Patreon and I'll get you one while supplies last. Thanks again to Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, which was the, the city of Guelph was mentioned on this episode, surprisingly. Uh, and also, I want to thank Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. All of them provide in-kind support for this show, and it means a lot to me. I miss all of those places. I want to visit them sometime in the future. We'll see if it happens. I also want to thank someone else I want to visit, Jim Guthrie. You can learn more about Jim Guthrie at his website, jimguthrie.org, and you should. He lends me some music that I play on the show, and he's a, he's a mensch. He's a, he's a wonderful... Uh, young man, that Jim Guthrie. So learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode with Deja. I hope you uh, enjoyed it. If you're a fan of Deja's or if you've never heard of them, now you know something and you know a little bit more about me. I was a little blabby during this episode. I could tell. I had to edit the thing, you know, and I'm like, oh, geez, shut up. What are you? Stop it. But it happens. I was chatty and Deja was great, chatty as well got into some stuff hope you enjoyed it and if you did consider subscribing to creative control the podcast or following it and telling your friends to do the same spread the word about the show if you can that that means a lot i appreciate it i'll talk to you very soon bye for now
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.